I'm Olivia Villarge, flying solo again this week, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in last week. I hope you all enjoyed the sex in video games episode as much as I did making it. It was a lot of fun, at times a little awkward, a little difficult to talk about, but I just had a great time talking with you and I hope you had a great time listening. So here we are again with the newest episode of In Search of the Story. Today I'm going to be talking about another scandalous subject, or perhaps I should say another big scandal in gaming history. And it's quite an expensive lesson when it comes down to it. Let's just cut right to the chase. I'm going to be talking about one of the biggest scandals in gaming history, and that is the $500,000 Kickstarter scandal surrounding the game Goddess and its creator, Peter Molyneux. Now before I jump into this whole story, I just want to say I'm not covering this entire story with the intention of bashing on Peter Molyneux. I'm simply laying out the facts of what happened in this, in this long and checkered history of this game and then the fallout thereafter. I'll give my thoughts at the end like I did in the last episode, but I just wanted to state I'm not trying to open old wounds or pull old skeletons out of the closet. I'm merely discussing this story as I do in In Search of the Story. With that being said, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the game Goddess with its predecessor, Curiosity. So the game Curiosity, uh, which was actually later retitled Curiosity What's Inside the Cube to avoid some sort of confusion with the Mars rover, it was labeled initially as a multiplayer social experiment game, which was set in a featureless, minimalist white room in the middle of which floated a giant cube which was then made of billions of smaller cubes called cubelets. And these cubelets had text across each layer with uh, usually a related topic, like hashtags or something like that, um, that contained smaller messages. And so players would then tap on the cubelets to dig through the surface of each layer and reveal the next layer below. Mind you, this was a mobile game. The goal was to reach the center of this cube, the center cube, and discover what was inside that final central cube. What's in the box? Uh, each layer had a distinct look or design, usually alternating between photos and plain colors, and each layer contained a clue as to what was in the center cube. What's in the fucking box? So you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does this have to do with goddess, and where does this large sum of money play into the story, and what about the Kickstarter fiasco that you mentioned? Well, talking about curiosity is really the birth of this entire story, so hang in there, just bear with me now. So it all started when Curiosity's creator, Peter Molyneux, claimed that, quote, what is inside the cube is life-changingly amazing by any definition. And although I, I must add in here, Sadly, Peter Molyneux uh, is infamous for overpromising when it comes to his games. Way back when he worked in Microsoft, he would work on the Fable series, and he overpromised with specific features on the first Fable in 2004. And then he hyped up 
the sequel, Fable 2, but in doing so, he bashed Fable 1 and said, people shouldn't even play Fable 1, just go straight to the sequel. He did so with Fable 3, where he said Fable 2 had a rubbish story. That's a quote. And then even later, he said Fable 4, known as Fable the Journey, was going to be this great, amazing game. And then Fable 3 was, and he said that Fable 3 was just a train wreck. So he kind of has a tendency of telling people his next big game is going to be so amazing and oh we recognize that our last game was not the best. So needless to say he has a bit of a sketchy history when it comes to overpromising with his games. So back to Curiosity and the Cubelets. He said what is inside the cube is life-changingly amazing by any definition. When someone suggested to him that he should probably tone down his enthusiasm he responded I don't want to believe in something less. I want to make something that is worthy of the emotion behind it. And that's great. People love enthusiasm when it comes to creating something. So this social experiment, social experimental game, ended on May 26, 2013, when the last layer of the game was removed and the final cube was completed or tapped. Uh, and this was announced uh, by Peter Molyneux via, via Twitter that the last layer had been removed and the cube had been opened, revealing the prize video to one Brian Henderson of Edinburgh, Scotland. And he, he won. He won what was inside the, the cube. And it should be noted that Henderson was given the option to keep the contents of the cube to himself or share it with the public. And he chose to share the prize, which is awesome. Good for him. According to the video that Henderson saw, 22 Cans, which is Peter Molyneux's newly established game studio because he departed from Microsoft, said that the contents inside the cube included the ability to be the sole and all-powerful digital god within their upcoming game called Goddess, spelled G-O-D-U-S. I know it sounds like G-O-D-D-E-S-S. -S. So, along with playing this all-powerful role known as the god of gods, the winner would also reap a very small portion of the incoming revenue brought in by the game, which was awesome. People were so hyped about this. They were excited to be involved in the community, excited to help 22 Cans along on their journey. My god! Okay, it's happening! So here we are. We've arrived at Goddess, which is a god-style video game, and that it's Important to note that Peter Molyneux sort of championed this genre of games and the company launched, so, so while the game was in its early stages, 22 Cans launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise funds and that was back in December, December 20, uh, they met their funding goal on December 20th, 2012 and it, the game was meant to be a spiritual successor to the Peter Molyneux's earlier game, Populous. So in this game, the player starts out by saving a man and woman from drowning. And once the player leads them to, quote, the promised land, they settle and build a tent. Uh, the two then create a worker who will build another tent to live in. And then through this strategy, the player gets to explore the world and grow the population through the ages. The main feature of the game is that the player is able to redesign the land and levels at will. So different levels require more belief, I believe is what it's called, um, than others. And the player eventually will be able to explore at least one other world after finding 
a ship of some sorts and gathering resources to repair that ship. So like I said, in December 2012, the Kickstarter campaign for the game met its funding goals, uh, which was awesome. They met their goals two days before the campaign ended. So they met their funding goal early and they raised actually 526,563 euros, which is closing in on 700,000 US dollars. And they met five out of their six stretch goals, falling short to achieve just one goal for um, a specific platform. And so that was on December 20th. But as of December 21st, after meeting their financial goals, the team had not set a release date for the game itself. After financial goals were met in the end of 2012, there still wasn't a release date, which began to prompt questions like, what's happening with development? What's going on with the team? Why, have, why isn't there a release date? So externally, 22 Cans claimed that all was well with the development of Goddess. It would be a fully independent game. They just they just said the only hang-up was that the Kickstarter money wasn't enough to maintain a production of Goddess's size on multiple platforms. So it was then, after a little bit of radio silence, they announced that they had made a deal, 22 Cans made a deal with the mobile publisher DENA, and that's in May of 2013. So this move sparked a lot of controversy and prompted heavy scrutiny because this was an independent game studio and they started a Kickstarter campaign to fund their game and they shouldn't need to make a deal with a publisher. Molly New claimed that it was only a distribution deal at the time and that the game wasn't focused on being solely a mobile game. Uh, it was still a push for a PC, a full PC game. Um, and he also said that the mobile mainstays like microtransactions wouldn't creep into the game structure. However, they did, which is very disappointing. While many of the game's eager fans were looking forward to this awesome PC game, the, the development group seemed to be focused only on getting the mobile version up and running. In speaking to Nathan Grayson uh, at Kotaku in an interview, Molly New denied that the mobile version was taking any priority over the PC development from the early conception of the game. He did admit to having money issues that the Kickstarter campaign just couldn't fund. Seemingly, they didn't ask for enough money. And that was why they went on and made the deal with the mobile publisher, DENA. In his own words, he said, you only have to do the math. There are about 22 people here, and the average salary is about $40,000. Do the math on how much that costs to run the studio for a month. It doesn't take a genius to work out that the $800,000 or so we raised on Kickstarter is only enough to take you a certain amount through development. That's why we had to sign on a publisher. That does put an extra impetus on, on delivering. I wish we didn't have to do that. As, as a designer, I wish I had a gigantic cavern of money to dig into, but you have to keep your finances and do things in service of that. Right. So time goes on, and later in, in 2014, again, more radio silence, and a freemium iOS version of the game was released on August 7th, 2014, and the Android version was later released uh, November 27th, 2014. So let me quickly back up to talk about the early goals 
for goddess in regards to platforms. According to sources from Grayson, the writer at Kotaku, many developers at 22Cans had joined the company with the intention of creating this amazing PC game. Whereas in the past, Molyneux had asserted, uh, quote, the mobile version of the game was only meant to be a detour. It simply took longer than intended. The plan, a few months, the result, nearly two years, end quote. But in reality, uh, according to two people who actually worked at 22Cans, that wasn't quite true. Apparently, the mobile development was the primary focus from day one. And in meetings, it, it would they, they would talk about the mobile version's potential to earn millions of dollars and attract hundreds of millions of people. These, sor- these sources from Grayson also say the game itself was built with mobile in mind from day one. And in that the idea of a mobile mobile platform, mobile game was was talked about in nearly every single meeting, even ones that were supposed to be PC focused. And I must note that Molyneux denies these um, these claims. As developers continued to struggle, they soldiered on through mobile development in hopes of eventually making it to a PC version. And all the while, so this is this is from the time frame between 2013-2014. All the while, while the company's working on this mobile version that the community was not as hyped about as the PC game, the community just was getting more antsy and a little more frustrated because there were these long patches of, of radio silence and unsubstantiated updates from from the from the developers. And so with 2014 pressing on, the focus for, for the developers, the focus on mobile became more and more difficult. This timeline gets a little mucky, just so you guys know. I'll try and make it as clear as I can. So mid-2014, this was after the buggy beta was already on Steam 2013, the mobile releases... The iOS version released in August, and then the Android version later in November, but the developers were just having a lot of trouble working on the mobile version, whereas players just kind of ignored the PC version because it was so buggy. So even after Molyneux's crew had announced that the mobile version was mostly done, there were huge server issues on their end, uh, on the publisher's end, sorry, on... DENA's end, which forced 22 cans into months of additional development towards the end of 2014 and beginning of 2015, which caused even more outrage, especially with the mobile game. And this, according to Molyneux, contributed to a huge amount of key developers leaving the company. And with them leaving the company, unfortunately, there was an ensuing even longer patch of radio silence. So after all that, it you know, needless to say, people have just been very wary of the development of this game for a while because the red flags really went up in the end of 2014 with these server issues. And then on top of that, Molyneux made an announcement uh, about a new game called The Trail. And between allocating some of the developers to focus on The Trail and then a bunch leaving out of frustration or whatever issues it was that they decided to leave, the team for Goddess shrank to just three members, and that's according to a source from um, 
Grayson again. So at this point uh, in 2000, between 2014 and 2015, things did not look good for the PC version of Goddess. It was still kind of stagnant on Steam. And sadly, the wide, this widespread skepticism of the game was only encouraged by this really sad post from the new lead designer on January 10, 2015, where he said that multiplayer, uh, his name is Conrad, Nizinski, I hope I pronounced that correctly. He said that sadly multiplayer was most likely out of the question despite all of the promotion a couple years back. So to touch base really quickly back on the winner way back when in 2000, 2013. So to touch back on the winner of Curiosity, Mr. Brian Henderson back in 2013, he won when he was 18 years old. And again, this was a very highly publicized challenge, again, uh, where Molly knew promised it would be a life-changing prize. Brian Henderson was named the God of Gods, and again, he would get a royalty check from the game's revenue starting at the beginning of his reign and through to the end. And as part of his prize, Henderson was invited to visit the 22 Cans office and meet the team. He actually got to meet Peter Molyneux, he got to play a little bit of Goddess, and then the team later took him to a local bar. At the local bar they took him to, Henderson had a bit of an awkward time. He recounts that they, the 22 Cans team, were talking amongst themselves and didn't pay attention to me. For some reason, they had their backs to me and my friend for the start of the evening. He brought a friend along with him. Then more people came, and that's when we started having a conversation with someone. It was a bit strange. He felt, you're here because of me, and they weren't really paying attention. Maybe they were caught up in some interesting conversation. But after sort of being ignored from, from the way Henderson tells it, um, he and his friend ended up drinking with an intern named Tony, and um, he noted that Molyneux did not come to the bar. So 20, 20 to zero months later, when Henderson was about to turn 21 years old, he had still not received anything from 22 cans. And at that point, the multiplayer mode had not been completed, which I sort of chronicled uh, the fiasco that that was. And so at that point, Molyneux released a video explaining why the game, which raised nearly $800,000 in US dollars, on Kickstarter had failed to meet the targets its backers were promised. So at that time in 2015, you could look at all the 22 Cans forums and their Kickstarter page, and you'll just see hundreds of messages from fans demanding refunds because they paid for something that had never been delivered. And they don't even know where their money was allocated. In the fallout, Molyneux handed off the project to the three-person team, and he looked to creating the trail. So at the time, Molyneux did apologize, saying, quote, I totally and absolutely and categorically apologize. That isn't good enough, and I'll take it on my own shoulders that I should have made sure he was communicated with, he being Henderson. We will from today onwards do that. He said that 22 Can simply forgot about Henderson, and even though Brian had emailed 22 Cans, cans multiple times, he, he never heard anything back, and Molyneux said that they will 
try to do right by him. In an interview with The Guardian, Molyneux tried to explain, so this is in 2015 also, Molyneux tried to explain that the person in charge of keeping in touch with Henderson left the company and that no one was ever reassigned to the position, which apparently is really difficult to do, to reassign someone to email another person. This was an act that Molly knew called inexcusable, which, sure, I agree, but is it that difficult to email someone or just pick up the phone and call? I don't think so. So like I said, at this point, 22 Cans decided to focus on another title, The Trail, and the remaining goddess development team said that they just simply couldn't see themselves delivering on all of the features promised on their Kickstarter page, especially the multiplayer mode. Because the project felt abandoned, especially the community perceived it as being abandoned, many people requested refunds. And many fans cite that it was just just disgraceful treatment of, of a gaming community and blatant lying uh, in association with the game development of Goddess, and then by extension, Peter Molyneux himself. Happier update, there's been a sort of new allocation of, of resources and talents to the PC version of Goddess. The development team has grown just a little bit more. Um, not so sad as only three members. There's a new combat specialist, an artist, a new coder, and hopefully, uh, if all goes according to plan, and that's a pretty darn big if. There'll be a new scripter and designer. Like I said, uh, this is led up by Conrad Nizinski, and Molly New has taken on sort of more of an advisory role, which could be very good because he seems to be getting himself in trouble anytime he opens his mouth. In February 2016, 22 Cans was able to release a new game titled Goddess Wars, which added a combat feature, um, combat-focused real-time strategy mode, but the original Goddess game was still a standalone world um, completely separate from this new game. And more recently, in March of 2017, Molyneux claimed that Goddess had not made a profit and Henderson would not receive. He finally admitted that Brian Henderson would not receive any money. And so in, in the fallout from this this competition, the Kickstarter campaign, and Molyneux's response, he kind of threw Kickstarter on, under the bus and called it a, a destructive force. Molyneux placed a large portion of the blame on this winner-takes-all dynamic of Kickstarters. He said, quote, There's this overwhelming urge to overpromise because it's such a harsh rule. If you're one penny short of your target, then you don't get it. And of course, in this instance, the behavior is incredibly destructive, which is, Christ, we've only got 10 days to go and we've got to make 100,000 euros for fuck's sake, let's just say anything. Which, by the way, I don't think you should ever take that stance, especially when it comes to PR and a big corporation. Even though he's not a big corporation, I know he's an independent corporation. But still, putting anything out to the public when you're representing your company, you don't just say anything. That's a surefire way to get yourself in hot water. So in one of his latest interviews regarding Goddess, which was in 2015, Molyneux said, The fundamental problem here is me. 
I think my days of talking to the press and talking through development and talking about exciting ideas are over. I think we need to draw a line under Peter Molyneux. That needs to be it, because I think my reputation has hurt the development of Goddess. It hasn't helped. Every time I'm quoted in the press now, whether I'm talking about Dungeon Keeper or Steam or what have you, it becomes this massive headline. It just becomes incredibly destructive. I think I'm no longer going to go to Game Developers Conference or E3. I'm no longer going to go around on road trips for press. I think we just need to draw a line on that. It makes me incredibly sad. I love talking to the press and I love being a designer in front of people talking through ideas. But I think now it's just too destructive. So now I'd rather retreat. I'd rather die than stop developing games, but I think retreating gracefully from the public eye is the best thing I can do. I think if Goddess was not done by me, it would have caught it wouldn't have caught quite so much flack. Alrighty then. Now, Molyneux is also well known for making these very heartfelt statements about what they could have done and what he wishes they would have done and what they coulda, woulda, shoulda. And that's all fine and great. But there comes a point when it's, especially when it's your company, that you must take the full brunt of the blame on your own shoulders. And even when he does that, he doesn't really do it. It's still never quite his fault. And again, I don't mean to bash him. He's an incredibly, incredibly talented creator. And his employees, despite everything that I've laid out, they, they had some really great things to say about him, that he was very excited about his ideas and that he, he was sincere with them, enthusiastic. But it just gets to a point where if you know you're the problem, especially you have a history of repeated, repeated actions that in turn sabotage your product that you're trying to create, that you're trying to make so great, that you want to be so great, then you just really gotta step back. And that's the thing with him. He'll he's gonna say, I'm done, I'm never talking to the press again. And he, boom, would go and talk to the press again. It just doesn't really make sense. So as you can imagine, the reception for these games couldn't the, the reviewers could not overlook the controversy surrounding the development of these games. Eurogamer's Tom Bramwell expressed concern that successful game designers were funding their projects using Kickstarter, saying, I'm looking at Kickstarter through the prism of Molyneux and Schaefer and Fargo, who are other game designers, reaching out of their mansions and rattling their golden cups in my direction. They instantly put me in the mentality of a consumer, weighing up a pre-order against the potential fiction of their oft-broken pre-release promises. It's not wrong because they're taking advantage of people, which may or may not be the case, but because this is absolutely not what Kickstarter is about. Kickstarter, in my opinion, is, and from what I've learned, is all about getting the projects up off the ground that simply cannot find the funding for, for their project. PC Gamer had a similar concern, saying, One wonders if Molyneux couldn't have handled his own funding. Uh, and in response, of course, Molly News said, I don't see why I, with my background, should be precluded from Kickstarter. I made the choice when I left Microsoft to become a small developer again and to define myself like a small developer defines itself. And that is someone who takes unbelievable risks, foolish risks like releasing Curiosity and doing Kickstarter. He also said that he invested a large portion of his own money into the development of the studio, but I guess 
that in, that investment also didn't go towards game development. Um, a, there was a, also a lot of criticism over the freemium model uh, for the iOS, but the largest feedback was about the broken promises that that the the game community felt had had been they just had not been delivered upon. Um, and again, there were just so many demands for refunds and apologies, and none of them had really ever been met or addressed. And the the worst part about investigating this whole this whole saga for me was that it was very clear throughout the development of Goddess that the people that were in charge of putting out communications externally were also telling the team internally something completely different and it seemed very disorganized. The people who actually worked on the game itself painted a completely different picture about the communication that was going on between teams. And so during the game's development, and again these are sources from Grayson, Peter Molyneux was provided with frequent detailed reports on the community, but sadly more often than not his new ideas, these new big ideas he would get so excited about took priority. And that would kind of just pull the designers in different directions and they were sort of uncertain on what they should be allocating their resources towards, their time towards. In a great article I found on Polygon written by Colin Campbell, he had a really insightful, insightful quote that he took from this entire fiasco. He said, Small companies and indies are often bestowed with a halo by consumers and by the media, sometimes because they are genuinely good people trying to do their best, and sometimes merely because they are not corporate entities glowing with toxic disregard for consumer interests. But when the indies and small developers behave like corporations selling out to the highest bidder, ignoring angry consumers, releasing bland statements that say nothing of consequence, they erode the ideas of consumer-backed game development and they endanger future crowdfunding campaigns. So ultimately what I've learned from this whole story is that basically this is a horrible, horribly tragic anecdote about the relationship between game makers and game, and game consumers that is just never going to go away. And what it comes down to is this. This is a story about trust between the creator and consumers. The consumers want to be able to believe in the creation of a game that's new, unlike anything other. The creators are enthusiastic about it. They're pushing the limits. They're looking to incorporate ideas from the community. That's the kind of game that this community specifically, and I think the majority of crowdfunded communities behave, is that you're trying to help the creator make this product that they believe in. And when the creator takes advantage of that sentiment and sort of betrays that sentiment and doesn't deliver, the consumer is kind of just left feeling like, what the hell? I I invested my money in in this product you promised me and you did not deliver. Now some people might say, well that's that's the consumer's fault. They shouldn't have put their money into this project that they didn't know where their funds were going. 
buyer beware, consumer beware. But the street goes both ways because if people just automatically say that on these kinds of crowdfunding campaigns, then that leaves other companies that are small and need crowdfunding to get their project off the ground out out in the cold. So again, it's an issue of trust. So I think the biggest takeaway that especially Peter Molyneux should take a hint is to let the developers who actually know the game and who have their hands on the game all day, every day, and the producers who know the limitations of the budget, who know the limitations of the schedule, let those people do the talking. The people in the company who are actually informed with what the creators are capable of, what the team is capable of, realistically, let them do the communication with the company. It is so great to see in community involvement. That is awesome. That is what the independent community is about, working together, getting something new, something different, something with heart up off the ground. But if you don't know what's going on, even if you are the head of the company, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know what is realistically viable, no matter how enthusiastic you are, you cannot spew false promises to your community that has you on their back, financially speaking. They're, they are your base of your pyramid, let's say, if we're going to go with all these building analogies for goddess. And so again, it all comes back to trust. And to end with another great quote by Mr. Colin Campbell uh, in his Polygon article, he he made another really great point in saying, I do not believe that 22 Cans is, is especially remarkable in its disgraceful treatment of Brian Henderson and of its fans and community. From shoddy DLC rob fests to crappy online multiplayer implementation to empty corporate statements about errors to throwing crybaby shit fits about negative publicity, there has emerged a class of game makers who believe they can get away with making all the right noises about consumer care while behaving very badly. And so like I said, this whole story is a very expensive lesson about trust between creator and consumer. And like I pointed out, sadly when that trust is broken, the consumer will not feel as compelled to give their dollar to campaigns which in turn will hurt other game makers that are actually fully invested in making sure the backers are happy with, and are delivered what is actually promised. So the lesson of, of today's episode is really, if you're, going, if you're going to invest your money in a project that you are excited about, in, a, in some form of crowdfunding, try your best to be as careful as possible and do your research, like me, you know I love my research, just try and take as much care as you can to protect your investment. And have a ball, because again, the independent community is about creating games with heart, and a large portion of that heart comes from us, the gamers who play those games and who give our feedback, and who let the creators know what we like, what they're doing, what we don't like what they're doing. And so if anything, this is a great example of the community saying, hey, we really don't like what you're doing. But sadly, this company hasn't really made 
big strides to, to respond back. So that's my story for today, everyone. Perhaps not as sexy as uh, last week's episode, but I really, I really feel strongly about about the message in in this episode, and I hope you guys had a great time listening. I would sincerely appreciate any feedback or comments. Feel free to tweet at us at gaming gaming underscore historia on Twitter. You can leave a comment on this page. You can even hit me up on Twitter, Olivia Velarich, and you can also look me up on GamingHistoria.com. I hope you all have a really great day or night. Just have a good one. And thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.